And that's a true relationship with Jesus. We're lost without him. Maybe you're here tonight and watching my live stream and you're not where you once were with the Lord. It's time we come back. We're going to do a prayer tonight. I'm going to ask you to repeat the prayer with me. Maybe rededicating your life. Maybe giving your life to the Lord for the first time. If you're doing this for the first time, call the church this week. Let us know that you've accepted Christ. Let us know you were so desperate. Now you know what you're looking for. Say this after me. Heavenly Father, I'm desperate for you. I need you. I need the relationship. I thank you for your son. I thank you for Calvary. I thank you, Jesus. The grave couldn't hold you. You sit at the right hand of the Father. You intercede on my behalf. And tonight, I give myself to you. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm backslidden in need of a relationship. Father, tonight, I commit and I recommit my life to you. Thank you for accepting me as I am and who I am in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, tonight we continue to pray for the lost. We lift our family members, Lord, the neighbor, a co-worker. Lord, a friend that we've known or just maybe recently met. Father, someone we've not met yet, you're going to allow us to meet and share the gospel with. We're thanking you right now. We're praising you right now by faith for their salvation. We thank you, God. They're going to see how desperate they are and need you. We're going to glorify you tonight. We're going to praise you tonight. We're telling the enemy, we're snatching them out of your hands. The price has already been paid. Once again, we lift Bishop and Dr. Cheryl to you. Thank you, Lord, for the leadership of not just the local body, but for the ACM. And we bring the network, ask you to bless the pastors, evangelists, all the ministries, Lord, throughout the globe. God, give us that which we need to do your work. Thank you again for Pastor Ken tonight. Once again, fresh touch and anointing. We thank you for the word he brought this morning. And another one tonight, God. Open our ears to hear. Let us receive. Father, for Destiny School of Ministry, for the inner healing, for the deliverance, the ministries inside the four walls, we're going to give you all the glory for the victories coming through. We lift the IAC, the FRC, the global chaplains, ministering outside the four walls, trained to come alongside, trained to come to those who are hurting. Once again, we bring Apostle Sister C, Dr. Sister Gardner to you, thanking you, Lord. Bless them. Bless them. And tonight, we complete, we claim complete healing in our bishop's body. Thank you for what the doctors have done. Now we thank you for touching and strengthening him. Even now, Lord, even now, may he feel your touch and your presence there in that home. We praise you. We glorify you. We give you all the glory tonight. And we're desperate for you. We're desperate for you. Touch us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
Hallelujah. Oh, come on. I know it's after lunch, after dinner, but he deserves all your praise. Amen. Well, we had a glorious service this morning, and we welcome our live stream family. We're so excited that you are with us tonight, and you are going to get blessed again. As I said this morning, we have Dr. Ken Shelton, Bishop Ken Shelton. He's one of the bishops in our network of churches and ministries, the EACM. And we love him. He is family to Bishop and I for years and years. We thank God for him and his beautiful wife, Kitty, and their lovely daughters. And I think he said 10 grandchildren. So he's up by seven on us. Amen. And that, I don't think we'll ever see 10 grandchildren anyway. I only got two girls. He's got three. All right. So God is so good. And uh, we just thank God for him and our network. We're not a denomination, but the EACM is a network of churches, ministries, churches, and chaplains. And we go around the globe. And our heartbeat is relationship and serving and that's what we want to do so we just welcome him to this pulpit we thank god he is an author he is a singer he is a songwriter he is a pastor a preacher an apostle he just wears a lot of hats amen but most of all he's a son of the king of kings and we thank god for that amen so i just want you to welcome bishop ken Shelton. Thank you, ma'am. Well, thank you so very much. I had so much fun this morning that I went to my room and went to sleep. That's how much fun I had this morning. But it's not that hard for me to go to sleep in the afternoon. Then I woke up and I saw that the Tigers beat the White Sox. Now, I know that may not mean a lot to you, but I'm a diehard Tigers fan, and we haven't had a whole lot to be happy about for about 10 years. But they're in third place. They ended the season in third place. Could somebody say, thank you, Jesus? I know that's not exciting to you, but it's exciting to me. Can you be happy for me? Thank you, Dr. Joe. Dr. Cheryl, thank you so much for that kind introduction. And thank you, Pastor Eric, for leading us in worship. I appreciate you. Amen. It's always good to have a drummer that knows how to stay in the pocket. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Can I see hands? Yes, can I say amen? Amen. And a guitarist that knows how to make a B.B. King slide right there. I got him. I know what he's doing. Uh-huh. All right. Well, I have two really good friends uh, with me tonight. They just came by, and I'm just so glad they did. Pastor Dwayne Clevenger, the pastor of Bridge Church International. Dwayne, would you stand and greet everybody? Say hi. Just wave your hand. Say howdy. And... Yep. Dwayne and uh, his wife, Tina, a pastor in Detroit, and he's from Detroit, and uh, he was in my youth group. If you can believe that, we have stories to tell. Years ago, a long, 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 long time ago. And, uh, and then he went to Rama Bible College and went down to Lakewood Church and worked for those fine folks. And uh, then he came back to his hometown in Detroit to start a church. And he started that church, what, three years now? Four years. I lost a year in there, but he started four years. And uh, I love Dwayne. Dwayne's a good friend. Dwayne's not going to go around and prophesy over you all the time. But if Dwayne calls you and says, sit down, you better sit down because he's got a word. He did that to me the other day, and I just stayed right in that chair for a while just basking in that word, and I appreciated that. That was a good word. 
I've got it written right down here in my iPad. I look at it, it's about every day, and I remember that word and I rehearse it. I appreciate that. My other good friend over here, my only two good friends in the world, no, I'm teasing, <laughs> is uh, Pastor Gail Brannon. Gail and his wife, Shawnee, Pastor Vertical Encounter Church uh, here in Detroit. And man, they got a rocking church. And um, they're over on Archdale Street over by Grand River and, yeah, South of Fury. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, I used to know them all, you know, all the streets, but now it's MapQuest, man. I just push that button. I don't even think about it anymore, right? So um, Gail is uh, a wonderful pastor. He's also a wonderful musician and singer-songwriter, and uh, he's, he produced that uh, soundtrack that I sang with this morning and uh, actually wrote the bridge. Now, I know. It just He's a good writer. His new project is called That's What Love Is? And you can download it. I'm telling you what, man, that thing is great. I'm not just saying it because it's here. It's a great, great project. I mean, they haven't even released it for radio play yet, and they've already got over 70,000 streams of his music. And uh, it's doing really good. It will touch your heart. And, and Pastor Eric, is it all right if I just have Pastor Gail come up and sing a song for me? All right, come on, come on up, Gail. Sing a song for us. Just whatever you got the hankering to do. Amen. Praise the Lord. Can we just stand to our feet just one, just for one last time here? I know we've been standing. I'm not much of an entertainer, just more of a worshiper. So how many worshipers we have in the building here? Amen. Light of the world. Step down in the darkness Open my eyes Let me see Beauty that makes This heart adore you Hope of a life Spent with this part here I am to worship so here I am to worship here I am to bow here I am to say that you're my God you're all together lovely all together worthy Together, wonderful to me. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say to the world that you are my God. You're all together, love me. Together worthy, all together one. 
wonderful to me. I love this part. Since I'll never know how much it costs to see my sins upon that cross. I'll Appreciate you doing that for us tonight. That's a beautiful song. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Psalm, chapter 121. You may be seated. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I love this psalm. I love all the psalms. Some of them are a little more violent than others. <laughs> but I love this one. And actually, I love um, the ascending psalms from Psalm 120 to 134. Um, the psalms of ascent or the ascending psalms, or as your Bible might say, a song of degrees. Um, these are 15 choruses that are really traveling songs, and we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about our journey, and we're going to talk about traveling, and we're going to talk about our destination. And tonight, I believe and I pray that you will be encouraged. Psalm 121 says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? You know, for years, I think all of us read it like, I lift up my eyes to the hills where my help comes from. But that's not at all what it says. And that distinction is extremely important because he's not saying that his help comes from the hills. He's asking a question, setting up the rest of that passage. 
and setting up the following 13 chapters that will follow. It's very important that you understand that this question is the hinge of this entire passage of ascending psalms from chapter 120 to 134. And we're going to talk about why these psalms are so important. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So ask the question and then he answers it. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. When I read the Psalms, I think of David, as most of us do. Of course, David didn't write all of the Psalms. He wrote many of them, and he was primarily responsible for the collecting and arranging of this songbook of the church that served the early church and has served us throughout the generations and throughout the centuries. Many of our worship choruses, you know, when Paul talked about encouraging one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, psalms are a very integral part of our praise and our worship. So you can never get away from the meaning, the theological depth of these passages of Scripture. Now, when you read the Psalms, sometimes you'll find some very personal stuff in there. I mean, David was a mess sometimes. I just got to tell you, sometimes David was a mess. Anybody ever been a mess before? Can I see your hands? Sometimes David looked like the king, and sometimes David looked like the beggar. If you don't believe so, just read his story. Sometimes he looked like the most sane man on the planet, and sometimes he looked like a crazy fool. But God had his hand on his life and had anointed him to be king over Israel and has blessed his leadership, not only over Israel, but over the kingdom of God on the earth because we have, through David, an example of what it means to be a warrior and a worshiper and an honest person. Until uh, Pastor Gale and I were talking about this the other day, but <clears throat> until you get to the book of Psalms, nobody ever talked about how they felt in the Bible. Moses didn't talk about how he felt. You know, Moses, I mean, he's awesome, right? But I would not want Moses for my father. You know, I mean, Moses is like, you know, he's, he's tough, he's firm, right? Abraham, man, he might take you up to an altar and lay you down there with a knife. You never know. You never know where Abraham's going to go, right? Isaac, man, you know, Isaac's all about Isaac. And Jacob, man, Jacob was super all about Jacob. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're just guys. They're just people doing their best. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? Now, Noah would be a pretty good dad, right? But, man, he'd be busy working all the time. Anybody ever have a dad that was a worker dad all the time? Yeah, I had a worker dad. My dad worked away his grief. That's how he solved his grief. You know, you got to read between the lines when you read Scripture. God gave Noah a job to do, but I bet you Noah was happy to do that job. He worked for a hundred years. My Lord, have mercy. Talk about a retirement plan. For a hundred years he worked building that ark. Well, the point being that when we finally make our way to the book of Psalms, it all becomes very real to us because it becomes very human to us. You know, it was the prophet Ezekiel, I believe it was. Correct me if I'm wrong, somebody after service, not here, but that said that the time will come when the Lord will take away the cold, stony heart 
and give you a heart of what? Of what? Wait a minute. I thought flesh was our enemy. I thought flesh is what troubled us. I thought flesh, man, I mean, don't we want to put the flesh under subjection? Don't we want to take authority over the flesh? Aren't we afraid of the flesh? Don't we want to tame the flesh? That's not at all what the prophet said. That God's design in our lives is not to make us anything other than he originally intended, and that is 100% human. Able to follow God, to hear his voice. God has preordained that every one of us is able to hear the voice of the Lord, hear, distinctly hear the leading of the Lord. I'll put it that way. The leading and the drawing of God that we are able to perceive it and follow it in spite of what our flesh does. And if God would have wanted us to be anything other than human, he was very well able to make us anything he wanted to make us, but he didn't want to make us angels. He didn't want to make us robots. He didn't want to make us super saints. He didn't want to make us even to be the saints of the patriarchs of the Old Testament to live to be seven or 800 years old. Thank God for that, right? He didn't, he didn't make us that way. He made us to be humans with hearts of flesh. You know what that means? That means I can hurt you. That's what that means. That means that you can hurt the people you love. That means your children can hurt you. Your spouse can hurt you. Your parents can hurt you. You can be wounded through uh, relationships that go awry. You can be wounded through an employer that is overbearing. You can be wounded by being abandoned or forsaken or abused, you are woundable. That is part of your humanity, and that is God's intention. He doesn't want you to hurt, but he wants you to understand that that's what it means to be alive. I have a pastor friend in Ohio. His church has been very successful as far as numbers go for Many years, probably 1,500, 2,000 people. And he'll, he'll call me and he'll say, man, I'm, I'm just going through a thing. And when it comes right down to it, somebody stabbed him in the back. That's usually what, what he's grieving about. And I'll say to him, I'll say, man, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm talking to you, man. I said, all right. I said, well, what are we going to do about it? He says, well, I just need you to remind me not to get mad. I need you to remind me that it's okay to be hurt. Say, it's okay to be hurt. You know, you can't go around your whole life living defensively. You've got to understand in life, things are going to happen that are out of your control. I know you know that. Things are going to happen that are out of your control and are beyond your ability to predict. And when they occur, I mean, you know, I love prophecy, man. I mean, I, I love prophecy, but you know what? I am bent just enough that if I'm not watched over, I will make prophecy my own personal safety going ahead of me in life so I don't face any problems. You see what I'm saying? That's just not natural, friends. That's just not the way it's meant to be. That's not the gift of prophecy. That's not why God gave us the gift of prophecy. When I say I'm bent, I don't want you to think I'm really bent. I want you to think I'm perfect. But I have to be honest if I'm talking about humanity up here, right? So, but the point is, is that wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if I could come down and lay my hands on you and give you the gift to see all things and you could see them and you would know what's about to come to pass and you could 
Step right out of the way. No problems. Well, sometimes that happens. Sometimes it happens. But that, my friend, is the exception and not the rule. Most of the time, we get blindsided by the people that we love and the people who are the closest to us. Sometimes we get blindsided in circumstances that we believed were going to work out that just stopped working out. Things change. Everything changes over time. And this is what the Lord wants for us to have. Just keep on being woundable. Just keep on. Just don't, don't get hard-hearted. Don't, let me tell you what happens when you get hard-hearted. See, Jesus came in the Sermon on the Mount. That's not what I intend to preach on, but we're going to go here now. So Jesus came to, on the, to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He's really correcting misperceptions about the Ten Commandments, trying to help people understand the way of grace as opposed to being the stuck in a rigid law. And when he talked about prayer and he talked about lust and he talked about divorce and he talked about giving and he talked about all those things, he did that with an approachable demeanor. In other words, he made it seem like we could actually do that. We actually now can pray. It's not formidable for us. We actually can trust in the Lord and, and believe him. If somebody came to Jesus one time and said, you know, what about divorce, man? I mean, can, can, we, can we just divorce our wives if they burn the biscuits? I mean, really? You know, I mean, she's getting on my nerves. You know, here's the problem with that. Women could never get a divorce. I mean, you might have married a guy that looked like a goat, but then later on, if he began to smell like a goat, you couldn't do anything about it. You were just stuck because women couldn't get divorces back then. I mean, it was a rare, rare, rare exception. But men, now they could go ahead and get a divorce. And so the Lord said, well, you know, yeah, I know Moses said you could write up a bill of divorcement and give it to him. But that wasn't the way we intended it. That happened because of the hardness of your heart. I'm just going to ask you a question right now. How much has happened in our lives because of hard hearts? How much, how much damage, how many broken relationships, my God. How many wounds, how much hurt that could have been avoided if we would just allow ourselves to be hurt. It's not the end of the world to be hurt. Who told us we, it would kill us? It won't kill you to be hurt. It just reminds you to lean on the Lord and to trust in the Lord. I asked my pastor friend, I said, what are you going to do now after he told me that guy stabbed him in the back? He said, just I'll keep on loving him, man. Just what I'm going to do is keep on loving him. I'm going to keep... Look, if you've pastored a church for more than a week, you've had to keep on loving people. I'm just telling you, that's just how it is, man. You've got to keep on loving people. If you've raised kids, how many of you have raised kids? You've got to keep on loving people. If you married the love of your life, you've got to learn to love them and keep on loving them. Yeah, you know I'm telling you the truth. Why? Because we're just flesh, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, it's great that we have moments of ecstasy like we had this morning. Wasn't that a great service this morning? It's such an anointing. There was so much freedom in here this morning to worship, and you guys were such awesome worshipers. Praise God. But by and large, we just go through stuff. So there's two words that describe us, and you can write these down. And when you read the scripture, these two words, very simple words that describe who we are in this Christian life. One is a disciple. A disciple is a person who's committed to the teaching and the lifestyle of his or her master. 
So if I'm going to be a disciple of Christ, I am going be, I'm going to be committed. I'm going to, the pursuit of my life is to be in lockstep with my master and my Lord, Jesus Christ. They, to, they called Jesus Lord, and he said, why do you call me Lord when you don't do the things that I say? You know, but if you, if you follow my teachings, he said, you'll be like a man who built his house on a rock. It's not, you know, I'm just giving you the safe way to live. But I want to be a disciple, don't you? I want to be a disciple. But dis, a disciple... I can see disciples, the 12 disciples becoming apostles. I can see them in the New Testament. I have such a vivid imagination of them having fellowship with Jesus and saying goofy things like when at the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter said, hey, let's build three huts. You know, just the human part of those 12 disciples. And so being a disciple means that sometimes you're in lockstep with the Lord and sometimes you really don't know what he's doing, but you're going to follow him anyway. You're going to follow him. Why? Because he's Lord. Say this with me. Jesus is Lord. Say, Jesus is my Lord. I'm his disciple. Now here's the other word that really describes this, and that is pilgrim. You are a pilgrim. I am a pilgrim and a stranger. Okay, so that is an old gospel song. Tennessee Ernie Ford special there for you. You're a pilgrim. In fact, when you read the scripture, when you read the Old Testament, and even when you come into the gospels, and even when you read the book of Acts, man, these people were walking everywhere. I mean, they were wanderers. I'm not just talking about the 40 years in the wilderness. Yes, that was part of the wand. That was the severe wandering when they were waiting to get themselves in line to find the promised land. But, I mean, they didn't have wagons like we you know, would see on a western. They didn't have any mode of transportation. They were wanderers. They were pilgrims. They were making their way. The, the most vivid image of a follower of Jesus is bound up in the word pilgrim. What is a pilgrim? It's not the guys with the, you know, meeting with the natives, uh, Native Americans at Thanksgiving, you know, having a Thanksgiving dinner. That's um, an appropriation of that word. But a pilgrim is a person on a journey. That's all that a pilgrim is. A pilgrim is a person on a journey to a destination. I mean, that's all over the Bible, right? We are seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. I mean, we, we are looking. We are in pursuit of something. Yes, 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 yes. Jesus Christ has made himself known to us and available to us. But on the other hand, I am pursuing and I am walking and I am living and I am loving and I am doing all that I know how to do to be a pilgrim. A pilgrim. Well, wait a minute. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Just use your imagination with me for a minute. There were three feast days that were very important to the Jewish people. Three feast days. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. And for those three feast days, all male Jewish, men, uh, Jewish guys, men, were required to appear before the Lord on those three feast days. Now, during the time of the first and second temple, we learn more about that. I want to show you a picture right here. This is a the wall of the Jebusites, when David sort of broke through a wall to conquer the city of Jerusalem, that's where he did it. I mean, it doesn't look like much. I mean, you know, 
me and a couple of my rowdy friends could probably take down that wall, but probably not. It was sort of barbaric life, right? But when David in, I think it was uh, 1004 B.C., conquered Jerusalem, he then fortified it and established it. And then the second thing he did was build himself a palace. And then after he built himself a palace and established the place with armaments, he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. Now, he was not allowed to build a temple for the Lord because um, he, he'd shed too much blood. He was a warrior. It didn't make, it, it didn't, there was no symmetry to the idea of this warrior shedding blood who would now build a temple for the Lord. And so, you know, the, the recitation where it said, you know, who's going to build a house for me? You're going to build a house for me? Where would I sit? I mean, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool, right? So it's a picture of a replica of that temple. Now, why am I showing you that? Just to kind of fuel your imagination for just a second. So here's the thing. So during this period of time, David and his son Solomon, his son Solomon actually built that temple, but during that period of time, they're collecting these songs. Why? Because according to the law of Moses, all Jewish guys were required to go and appear before the Lord. Even though there had been other places where they would make sacrifices during those times before that, during this period of time, David required them to make those sacrifices right there in Jerusalem, in the city of David, right? So people had to go, sometimes a long distance. If you lived nearby Jerusalem, it was not a big deal. I mean, it may be, you know, maybe a day, maybe a half a day. But you, you found your way. You found your way. You, you, you got there. You and you got your boys and you left the women at home. Sometimes the women came. Sometimes it was a, a whole parade of people. I'm going to show you another picture. This is a pilgrimage that still is happening. This picture is actually from 1945. This is a pilgrimage of Jewish people ascending. Say the word ascending. Do you see them? You know what they're doing? They're going up to Jerusalem for this special feast day. In this instance, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. So, <clears throat> so if you lived close by, not that big of a deal. But what happens now? What happens if you lived up near Galilee? Anybody ever been to the Holy Land before? You know, you're up near Galilee. If you live up there, well, you know, you've got a journey. And if you and your boys are going, that means you've got to lock up the shop Leave mom and the girls at home, and dad and the boys would have to go through sometimes treacherous territory to get from point A to point B, and it was dangerous. I mean, first of all, it's desert. It's rugged. If you're walking it, you could easily just, you know, die of sunstroke. I mean, it, I was over there in September. It's 105 degrees. It gets hot over there. And, and trying to walk on those craggy, rough roads. I mean, you twist your ankle, you hurt yourself. I mean, there's, there's so many things, not to mention the thieves that lay in wait to, to try to hurt you, to try to take what you have on your way to worship the Lord. Those dangers were ever-present, but those aren't the worst dangers. No, no, there were other dangers. So what could they be? Well... You know, if you're walking from, say, the northern part of Israel down to Jerusalem and you've got to make your way, there were at various places all through Jerusalem Canaanite altars that still existed, sometimes occupied by Jewish people, sometimes occupied by the Jebusites or by other Canaanite groups. And there were Asherah poles there. 
You know what an Asherah pole is, right? It's the female uh, version of the god Baal. So you have Baal and Ashtaroth, or Asherah, right? And um, at those sacred sites, I say sacred in quotes because it was pagan worship, ritual, ceremonial, religious sex occurred, and violence occurred. And the idea behind it was that if you can get to the highest place, it's like the Tower of Babel concept all over again. If you can get to the highest place and build an altar, and if you can get there and perform your worship rites, whatever they are, you will appease God and God will give you what you need, a false God though it may be. So now, you're up in northern Israel and you're making your way down to Jerusalem and it's hot. And... You know, one of your kids brings up, why do we have to go four days in the desert? Why do we have to go? Well, I mean, this is so hard to get there. All around you, as I would say all around you, but at various places around you are, is the smoke rising on the hills from the temporary worship of false gods that calls to you and says, you know, why don't you just not serve that God? I mean, you've got to go all the way to Jerusalem. Why, why not just pull off the road here and just go up over on the high place? We've got steps that will lead up there, and you could just have your little celebration right here with us. Besides, you're not going to have any sex over there in Jerusalem, so, I mean, why don't you just go up this? I'm sorry to be so blatant, but I'm just telling you the dangers. This is the stuff that these guys had to face. I mean, this is real, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book about... It's famous for having said the words, a long obedience in the same direction. Eugene Peterson then wrote a book by that name, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, in which he talks about this concept of serving the Lord is not a quick momentary decision. It is a pilgrimage that we are making. So now you're on your way. You needed something to comfort you. David and Solomon and a few others took these songs. Some are ascribed to David. Some are ascribed to Solomon. Some are not ascribed to anybody. It's believed that David wrote Psalm 121. They put these songs together. These are the traveling songs. The Levites sang them as they ascended the steps up to the temple. The people of God sang them to themselves as they walked on this journey all the way to Jerusalem. It is um, assumed that this was part of the music that was sung at the dedication of Solomon's temple. And so you begin in Psalm 120. We won't go through any of those. We're just going to focus on Psalm 121. If you could put that scripture back up on the screen for me, I'd certainly appreciate it. I will lift up my eyes. Say it with me. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Oh, Lord, the hills where all of this other stuff is going on. I will lift up my eyes to the hills, but where does my help come from? Something very important. In this statement, in this statement, God, through David, does away with the concept of nature worship. There's a very important point in human history where the, the worshipers of Jehovah, of Yahweh, now are focused directly on him, and they are not looking to the hills. You know, my, my grandson wanted me to take him up to Port Austin so we could go to that night park and look at the stars in the sky late at night, you know, and see all that. The whole idea of getting close to heaven has always appealed to us, hasn't it? Uh, to physically close to heaven. It's a, it sounds like a really great idea. 
And so I lift up my eyes. I'm walking on this rough and rocky path unto the hills. But where does my help come from? My help does not come from these hills. My help does not come from the God that they're worshiping up there on the high place. My help comes from the Lord that made those hills. My help comes from the Lord. Here's what else is embedded in that teaching. That it doesn't matter what your geography might be at any particular time, what your position is, your help still comes from God and God is still watching out for you and looking out for you. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Verse 3, if you'd show us there on the screen. He will not let your foot slip. In other words, if you're on your way to Jerusalem and you are tired and you are weary and you've got fussy teenage boys, you're going to make it. That's the promise. You're going to make it. And I'm just wanting to tell you tonight that you are on a pilgrimage and you are going to make it. No matter what your geography is, no matter what your spiritual geography is, no matter what your relationship geography is, no matter where you happen to find yourself in your relationships and your employment and your finances or whatever, look, I'm just telling you, you're going to make it. You're going to get there. You're going to get home. There's a homing device in your spirit, and it doesn't matter how many things are tempting you to pull off to the side, you have a destination, and you're going to make it. Can you say amen? He's not going to let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Well, you know, it's easy to fall asleep, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to fall asleep tonight in church. I understand. I get it. You know, it's easy to do that. He will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Well, isn't that repetitive? He's not going to even get drowsy. He's not even going to lose his focus for a minute. Look, he's, here's the point. He has you in his sights. David taught us the idea that you are the apple of his eye. You are in it. You don't believe that, do you? Say, I am the apple of the Lord's eye. He loves you that much. Have you ever noticed that sometimes God uses you the best when you've screwed up the most? Anybody else notice that besides me? Times I didn't feel worthy. Times I felt like I'd messed up. I'd gone the wrong direction. I'd done the wrong things. And guess what? Holy Ghost used me, man. It was like, whoop, how'd that happen? I was supposed to, like, clean up my act completely and get it. No, listen. God has put a homing device, true north in your spirit, to the presence of God. And you're going to make it. And not only are you going to make it, he's going to make sure that your foot doesn't slip. Now, what does that mean? All right, well, you know, yeah, your foot might slide that way. That's not what he's talking about. You're not going to lose your footing and fall off the side of that hill. Let me tell you, you're not going to lose your grip on reality. I talk to people often who through this COVID experience felt like they were losing their grip on reality. They felt like they were losing their grip on everything that they knew to be sound and solid and true. You're not going to lose your step. You're not going to go crazy. You're not going to lose your mind. You're going to keep your wits. 
You're going to be all right. You're going to make it to the other side. Yeah, I know those are blanket statements, and sure, there are people with mental illnesses and, and issues that are difficult and need to be treated, but spiritually, you are on solid footing with God if you have put your trust in Him. He, the Lord, watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Why is that important? Why would, why would we even care that the Lord would be our shade on our... We don't have any real sense of that now because we have sun visors in our car, right? And we've got tinted windows and we've got everything treated with UVA and UVB so the sun doesn't bother us. But have you noticed that it is getting a little hotter and you do get sunburned a little bit easier and if you stay on a little too long, you'll turn into a crispy critter and it's just the way it is right now, right? It's just, it's just hot and if you stay in the sun too long, it's going to... You know it can kill you. Did you know that? Let me tell you a little story that happened to me. I was in Israel in 1995. I had a chance to sing and teach over there at the Pentecost World Conference in Jerusalem. And I'd taken a tour of northern Israel the first week and uh, did my bit in Jerusalem, which I was very grateful for. It was a great experience. And I had a couple of extra days and a little money left, and I had not seen the Mount of Olives yet. And you know, so I was going to go. So I, I got a loaf of pita bread and a jug of water, and uh, I just started marching up the hill. It was like 1130 in the morning, and it was hot. It was uh, over 100 degrees. It was really hot, and I was going to make it up that hill. So I started walking up that hill and uh, making my way. you got to go outside the old city. you got to make your way to this little road, and then you work your way up to the top of the Mount of Olives. So, you know, when you first show up over there in Israel, one of the things they tell you right off the bat is, listen, if a guy comes around in a cab and he's not on the clock, don't get in. Well, you know, I just forgot that. I mean, who remembers that? I don't remember that. So a guy comes around in a cab and he goes, you want the you want ride? And I said, no, I'm good. I'm just going up here to the Mount of Olives. He goes, you, you need a ride. I said, no, no, no. So he takes a lousy accent, I know. So he takes off and he goes and he comes back around again and he finds me and he goes, where are you going? I said, up to the Mount of Olives. He goes, you want to ride? Ride, ride with me. I said, no, no, that's fine. He goes, five dollars, five dollars. I'll take you up to the Mount of Olives. I said, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm just walking. I really wanted to walk up there. I don't know, call me crazy. So I kept walking. There's a dusty road, I'm walking up it. He comes by a third time. You look like you're getting tired. You sure you don't want to ride with me? I said, no, I don't want to ride with you. He comes by a fourth time. He says, look, he says, you don't understand. They close at noon, and they're closed for at least an hour, and you're going to be standing up there in this heat. He said, if you get in my car now, I'll take you up there. And he said, you'll get there in time. So, you know, against all my better judgment, partly because I'm a guy, partly because it was getting hot and what he said made sense, partly because I felt like I needed a shortcut, I got in his cab. He let me sit in the front seat with him, right there, right next to him, right? And then he turned around and went the opposite I said, where are you going? He looked at me and he said, anywhere I want to go, and I want all your money. I thought, oh, man, I'm the guy this is going to happen to. <laughs> I'm going to be in the news tomorrow. Stupid American gets killed over here in the Holy Land because he didn't have enough sense to not get in the cab. So I thought, oh, what am I going to do? Well, lucky for me, 30 years ago, my favorite show was the A-Team. <laughs> Anybody remember the A-Team? Sup? You got it, brothers. I'm thinking in my mind, okay, I got to do something. Is it the Duke boys? 
What is it? Is it the A-team? Is it James Bond? i got to pull something out of my head. Hey, I'm just a white guy from the suburbs. I don't know what I'm doing in these situations. I'm not a street brawler. Don't ask me to do anything. I'm stuck in this deal. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And I just instinctively pulled out the whole wad of money I had in my pocket. I think it was the Holy Spirit because I wouldn't have thought of this otherwise. I just pulled out the whole wad of money. It was mostly ones. But I pulled it out and I said, you're not going to get this. And I noticed that when he saw my money, he took his foot off the gas for a second. And it rattled him. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. In that moment, I had a plan. I had a plan. I don't know where I came up with this plan. It was probably a stupid plan, but it's the only plan I could come up with because I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. And my wife wasn't there to tell me what to do. So, (laughs) so what I did was I said, You're just not going to get all of it. I said, you said $5. He's driving around. I'm looking up ahead, and I see that the road we're on, Mount of Olives is back there. Old City is over there. There's a bridge that goes from the road we're on over to the Old City. I'm I'm, uh, seeing that the road curves. It doesn't stop. It curves. And I'm thinking to myself, well, he's got to slow down for that curve. He can't go as fast as he's going off of that curve. I'm going to jump out of the car. But I got to get him to slow down a little bit more. I'm thinking of this. And then, you know, if I was in my right mind, I would think, what? You're going to jump out of a car? What's wrong with you? So I take that wad of money and I peel off $5. And I said, you said five, two, three. He goes, I want all your money. I said, four. He reaches under his seat. I said, five. We get up close to that curve and I take that $5 and I wad it up and I threw it in his face and hit him in the eye. And he took his foot off the gas and I opened up the door. I held my money close and I jumped out of the car and I rolled over and there were a group of tourists on the bridge, probably from Spain or Switzerland or someplace where people don't know when an American is saying, please help me. They just heard me go, ah, yeah. and, and they looked at me and they turned around and walked away. But the guy heard me scream and he took off. And I sat under a tree and wished I was dead. <laughs> it freaked me out. I was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. I'm thinking, i got to get out of here. He might come back. So I scurried across the bridge, and I went back into the old city, and this psalm came alive to me. Not that that would have happened to a traveler back then, but if it happened to me, the story of the Good Samaritan came back to me of the man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. You know, Jerusalem's up here. Jericho is below sea level. What's a guy doing going from up here down there? You're supposed to go from down there up here, and what's he doing going there alone? And there were thieves. Look, it's a real thing. There are thieves. I didn't know it. I always thought it was like three little pigs or something. I just thought it was a nursery story. I didn't know there really are thieves. People will hurt you for your $5. People will kill you. And, and so, you know, I just, I thought, man, it came alive. You could get hurt. And I could see myself. I could see myself as one of these pilgrims on their journey. And I've thought about that so many times. Of course, I called my wife that night and I told her, she said, you did what? You know, she was all the way back home and it freaked her out and and it freaked me out too. But I, I thought to myself, I wonder how much danger a man could be in if he were going from Galilee down to Jerusalem and he was by himself or he was late for the parade and he was all by himself and he's got to hurry 
And the worst thing that could happen is that he would hurt himself and have to stop on the side of the road where a thief could come. See, that's the spiritual thing that we're concerned about, isn't it? We're concerned that in this race called life that we're not going to make it. That maybe, just maybe, our dreams aren't going to come true. We don't live in Disneyland. We can't wish upon a star. Bad things really do happen to good people. And I might be the good person that it happens to. And I might not make it. And if there was ever a psalm, if there was ever a scripture that breathes hope into that, it's Psalm 121. The sun won't hurt you. The moon won't hurt you. What's the next scripture say? Verse 7, the Lord will keep you. Say, the Lord will keep me from all harm. He will watch over your life. Say that with me. The Lord will watch over my life. I, I think you're just saying it because I asked you to say it. Do you really believe it? Lift your hand and say, the Lord will watch over my life. The Lord will watch over your life. I'm telling you, the Lord will watch over your life. Everything about your life, God will watch over it. That doesn't mean you can't get hurt. That doesn't mean you're not woundable. That doesn't mean you're not human. It means that in the midst of all that, you've got a watcher. You've got a keeper. The Lord will watch over you, over your coming and your going. This is how the King James said, over your coming in and your going out. What does that mean? Not only this Passover, but every Passover. Not only this Pentecost feast, but every Pentecost feast. Not only this Feast of Tabernacles, but every single one of them. No matter where I live in this country, on my way to Jerusalem, the Lord will look after me. And no matter where you are for how long you live or what you're going through, the Lord will watch over your coming and over your going. If you're out of work, I want you to know the Lord is watching over your coming and your going. If you don't have enough money to pay your bills, God is watching over your coming and your going. If you are having trouble in your relationships, God is watching over you as you go back and forth and traffic through this life. The Lord will watch over you both now. Say it with me. Both now. Could you put that scripture up here for me, please? Thank you, Val. The Lord will watch over your coming and going. Say it both now and forevermore. Show me verse 9, if you will. The next verse, if you will. Is there another verse? That's it? Okay, great. Go back to the keeper verse. Third verse. Fourth verse. Fifth verse. Sixth verse. Seventh verse. There it is. I knew there was keeping there. The Lord will keep you from all harm and he will watch over your life. He's your keeper. He's your watcher. He's your protector. He will preserve you. Now, I tasted some food the other day that had some preservative in it and it wasn't very good. And so I spit it back out. Now the Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. And the Lord is good. But God is your preserver. And he is your preservative. 
And you know how Daniel went in that lion's den and that lion just lay there, you know? Because for some reason, he didn't look tasted, that lion, that day. I believe that the Lord puts in our lives a spiritual preservative that when the enemy of our soul tries to consume us, we just don't taste that good. That when he opens his mouth to devour us, you, you think I'm just speaking in hyperbole, that I'm exaggerating? Hey, that's what the Psalms are all about. The worst thing that could happen. He talks about the worst thing that could happen all the time. That when they open their mouths to consume me. Psalm 22. My flesh was dried up. I almost died. They came at me like roaring lions and dogs to devour my flesh and to eat me. And of course those are Messianic Psalms. But they were real to David too and he experienced those things. But he made it to the throne. Oh I wish we didn't have to go through them. I wish we didn't have to go through the hard stuff. I wish I could go back. You know I look back now at even the bad memories of my life. And they don't seem that bad because I got through them. You know, you know what I mean? You look through some of the bad times and you think yeah but it wasn't that bad because I made it through and here I am now and I don't know what tomorrow holds for you but I know this I know that on your way to your destination the Lord will keep you and preserve you and save you and make you tasteless to the devil that's the purpose of praise Dr. Cheryl when you are a worshiper you are tasteless to the devil when you open your mouth and declare the mighty works of God, that is not something the devil wants to get close to. And when we begin to worship and put our confidence in the Lord God, the preservative goes to work in us. That's what the word keep really means, right? He keep, he's a keeper. You know, just think what they did before they had refrigerators, you know. They had keepers. They had ice boxes. Ways to preserve things and make them last. He'll not only keep you from being devoured, he will preserve you and make you last till the end and give you the spiritual strength that you need to overcome and to conquer. But now I've got to ask you, what did you see on your way to church today? You see, because it's not just going to Jerusalem and it's not just on your journey in this life. No. I'll tell you what it is. It's going to church every Sunday. It's getting up and getting dressed and fussing with your kids and getting in the car. Or it's being alone and not having anybody with you. And let me tell you, we may not have high places around us, but we have the same debauchery and sin and wickedness all around us calling to us every single day. The same debauchery that was found at the places of worship of Baal and Asherah, the same wickedness, the same licentiousness, the same sensuality, it's here. Our kids have to face this in the world that we live in. You and I, day in and day out, those voices call to us and say, wouldn't it just be easier to stop over here? Wouldn't it just be easier not to go to church today? Why are you doing that? Why are you volunteering over there? Why are you giving all your time and all your money and doing all that? I mean, after all, the church, all they ever really want is your money. Why don't you just pull on over here and use some of that money on something that will satisfy you now? And so here's what we do. We develop an alternate life. Now, all that I've said so far is just preamble. Now I'm going to get preaching. 
Not time-wise, just subject matter-wise. You see, here's what happens to us as human beings. When you're hurt, when you're tired, when you're weak, people learn to cope. And if they don't put their faith and confidence and trust in the Lord, they find an alternate life. That's why you turn on the news and you find about the city councilman or the politician or the pastor who had a mistress on the side or, or had another, you know, I mean, I loved Walter Con- Cronkite. Anybody remember? Or no, who is it? James Corralt. Does anybody remember James Corralt? You're America with James Corralt, the newscaster, right? He died and his wife in New Mexico was really ticked off at his wife in Denver because neither one of them knew that the other one was alive. Because somehow he felt in his journeys in life that he was entitled to find something to satisfy him in a way that was an aberration, that was an extension of his greed and of his momentary pleasures as opposed to the long journey, the long obedience in the same direction. Well, here's where it starts. Everybody point to your head. It starts right there. It doesn't start right here. It starts right here. This is a place right here. This is the landing strip for all those voices, for the smoke from all those high places. It's right here. All those words, all those images, all those things that can flash on your computer screen, all those things that people say in the booth next to you at work, all those things that you are aware of that are there, and why are you trying so hard? I spoke to a young man just the other day who had tried, you know, he's just a young man, but he said, man, I tried everything. I tried to do it the right way, which, you know, he's, he's like barely 25, but he was pretty sure he tried everything. And he said, I, 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 don't, I did everything the right way. I followed all the rules. I did the right thing, and bad things happened for me. So what I'm going to do right now is whatever I want to do. How many of us have said the same thing? I have. I have. I don't know about you. If you've said that, raise your hand. Show me. Two people. The rest of you were just tempted to lie. That's what that is. You know, we, we, just, we just think, well, why am I even trying so hard? If, if, I, if I'm trying this hard and working this hard and bad things happen anyway, why am I trying so hard? Ah, ding, 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 ding. Stop trying so hard. That's the key, isn't it? That the key for us, that the purpose of Psalm 121 isn't to double down and redouble your efforts and run down that path to Jerusalem. No. It's to slow down. You're going to make it. Don't freak out. Don't get in a hurry. You're not going to be late. You're going to be right on time. That's why those feasts last for a week. Because in case you're late, you're still going to get in on the feast, right? Because you may not make it on the first day, but you might make it by the third day. And here's what I want to tell you. You're going to have to slow it down just a little bit. You don't have to work so hard. You don't have to try so hard. You don't have to force this thing called spirituality because the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your preservative. The Lord is your shade. The Lord is your guard. He does not want you running a foot race to get to heaven so that you can beat your next door neighbor neighbor. He just wants you to enjoy the trip. Amen. He wants you to understand that even in the midst of all the hardness, you can enjoy the trip because he's taking this trip with you and he is your keeper. He is by your side all the time. Would you stand to your feet with me? I'd like to ask you if you would just to come on down around the altar as we close tonight. Dr. Cheryl may want to do some other things before it's over, but I do want us to spend a little time in the altar.
And those of you that are watching on live stream tonight, I just want you to be encouraged. And I want you to know that the Lord is so aware. He's so aware. Come on, you're all welcome to come on down. If you're nervous about getting too close to people, just scoot on over a little bit and don't get real close to them. It'll be all right. Would you play my soundtrack for me? I wrote this song because of this psalm, Psalm 121. The Lord is your provider. He's got just exactly what you need. Down the road, up ahead, over yonder, promised land, holy ground, makes me think of going home, and I think I'm going to make it, shining light on a hill, blessed city. Keep her, keep, do not sleep Keep your watch over my way And I know I'm gonna make it And this song will carry me On my way On my way Cause I see high ground all around that is not where you are found Their promises do not bring peace To my traveling soul All my help comes from you alone Where you sit on your mighty throne Oh, make my stumbling feet walk straight And carry me on my way to your home Our home. Father said It's a land that flows With milk and honey Sabbath rest Mother's breast Keeping guard over my way And I know I'm gonna make it Guide me now Keep my feet Lest I stumble Keep or keep Do not sleep Bring the humble to your throne And I know I'm gonna make it And this song will carry me On my way On my way You see I see high ground all around Oh, but that is not where you are found Their promises do not bring peace To my traveling soul Oh, my help comes from you alone Where you sit on your mighty throne Please make my stumbling feet walk straight And carry me on my way your home, our home, listen now, cause I'm going out 
and I'm coming in and I'm passing through and I'm here again because I've heard your voice and I've seen your face and I cannot stay away down the road up ahead over yonder promised land holy ground makes me think of going As your eyes closed and your hearts opened, here's what I want to encourage you with tonight. The promise that you and I have that not everything is going to work out in this life. I wish it would. We know that. You knew that before you came tonight. You didn't need me to tell you that. Not everything is going to work out. I know this. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven, Dr. Cheryl. I, I'm going to make it. I'm going to get to the other side. Now, I don't know the timing of it all. I don't try to dissect the Bible. I'm just not one of those guys that tries to dissect the Bible and come up with a date on the calendar and pinpoint it that tells me what, what's going to happen on this date and when Jesus is coming and how he's going to come and if he's going to come once, or he's going to come twice, or if he's going to ride a horse, or what's going to happen. And look, all I know is he's coming. All I know is I belong there. When I was a little kid, my mama knelt beside my bed. I was just a little guy, maybe four or five years old, and she prayed the sinner's prayer with me, and I repented of every wicked thing I'd ever done up to five years old. I repented. I gave my life to Jesus, and you know what? Jesus took me in his arms, and he's never left me. And I remember when I was called to the ministry. I was at college. I was at Bible college. I was miserable. I was miserable because I was running from the Lord. I didn't know I was running from the Lord. I didn't have any idea I was running from the Lord. How can you run from the Lord a Bible college? Oh, it's pretty easy. They got some pretty good looking women down there. I'm telling you right now. I was running. I was running hard and I was running fast and I would cry myself to sleep at night. And I bailed out at my second year and I came home and my mom said, what are you doing here? And I said, got to find myself. I don't know. It's not working down there. That's all I know. I got to find myself. Have you ever been there before? You don't really know what the problem is, but you know there's a problem. You don't really know what the answer is, but you're certain there's an answer. And nobody can tell you. You're just going to have to find yourself. And that pilgrim on his way to Jerusalem, when his feet start to shake and he starts to fall, the best thing he can do is stand still for a minute. Just get your bearings. Find out who you are. Find your way and start walking one more time. And I went to my pastor. I said, Pastor, I was working at the shop. I hated it, hated it. There wasn't anything in that place that even remotely spoke to me. My dad was a foreman at Pontiac Motors. He loved it. I hated it. I just hated every second of it. But I did it because I had to make a living, and my mom wasn't going to let me sit at home and do nothing. I went to my pastor. My mom and my dad didn't know about it. I said, can I meet you over the church? He goes, sure. Great guy, six foot four, 250 pounds pristine hair, great clothing to Brother Vance. He's awesome, man. He was a lot of fun. I said, Pastor Vance, I said, best I can tell, you need a youth pastor, and I want to be him. I had no idea that I was getting ready to go into the ministry. I thought I was looking for another job besides going to the shop. 
And he said, okay. <laughs> Just like that. Out of the blue. Surprised me. I had no idea. But let me tell you what happened. I couldn't find myself down there in Tennessee. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what was going on. I don't know why. I don't have to know why. But I came home and I got my wits about me for a second. I don't remember when it happened. But one day, I just had the urge. I can't tell you. I felt chill bumps or heard voices or saw visions. I just knew one day I was going to go talk to the pastor about being a youth pastor. And he looked at me and didn't even blink. He said, sure, you want to start in August? I said, yeah, that was February. I went home and I told my dad I was quitting my job because I had a new job coming in August. He said, why don't you just keep working? I said, because I hate that place and I can't do it because I might backslide between now and August if I have to do that and I couldn't do this job if I have to do it. My dad says, okay. And it all worked out. I don't know how it worked out. I told you this morning, Kitty was the first girl I kissed. I was 16. Now I'm going to tell you the real truth. She was 13. I know, doesn't sound good, does it? Doesn't sound good, but, you know, she was there, and she's a good kisser, and I loved her. I went home and told my dad I was going to marry her. She went home and told her mom she's going to marry me. Neither one of us know the other one said that. How foolish we were, right? Guess what? Five years later, we got married. I dated a few other girls in between. She dated a couple of guys in between. I think I dated more girls than she did guys. But anyway, sooner or later, we got back together again. You know why we got back together again? Because I had another girlfriend. Her name was Cheryl, real nice girl, Nazarene. My mom liked her better because she was a church-going girl. Kitty wasn't a church-going girl. She just got saved the year before I gave her that kiss. And, uh, you know, her mom and dad, they, they weren't raised in church. They're good people, some of the finest people I know. But, hey, you know, I just thought, well, I haven't made up my mind yet, and I just don't see the problem in having two girlfriends. I mean, it just seemed, you know, at 18 or 19, it just seemed to make sense to me. I was a player, baby. I was a player, so... I went over Waterford Hill in Waterford, Michigan. Anybody know where Waterford Hill is? I was going from Clarkston over to Waterford. I was going over the hill. I had kitty. I was driving that 66 Catalina that always smelled like apples because we had an apple orchard. And, and I had kitty in my arm, and I went over the hill, and kitty and I at the same time saw Cheryl coming up over the other side of the hill. And kitty said, that was Cheryl. And I said, crap. Anyway, that was the end of the relationship with Cheryl. And uh, kitty prayed. She started praying that the Lord would send Cheryl to Africa. I know, I know. You're saying, what's that got to do with Psalm 121? I'm going to tell you in a minute. She started praying that the Lord would send Cheryl to Africa. Now, Cheryl, if you happen to be watching this tonight, I'm really sorry. (laughs) Oh, Lord, have mercy. The things we get ourselves into, right? So, anyway, we wound up getting engaged. Kitty and I did. And Kitty sent her an invitation to the wedding. (laughs) And she came and she cried through the whole wedding, which I thought, I still got it, baby. I know, it's stupid, right? It was dumb. Don't do that, guys. It was dumb, 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 dumb. But then my mom called Kitty about a year later, and she said, do you get the Oakland Press? Remember when the Oakland Press was a thing? Is it still a thing? I don't know if it's still a thing. Anyway, Kitty says, uh, yeah. She goes, well, turn to section B, page two. Okay, what is it? Cheryl joined the Peace Corps and went to Africa. <laughs> now, I, I don't know how to tell you. I stumbled my way into life. I, I, I'm a songwriter, man. I'm a musician. I, I, I wanted to be a hippie so bad when in 1973, but I was scared of God and my dad at the same time. And since my dad 
work nights and I only saw him on Sunday, I couldn't tell the difference between God and my dad. But I wanted to be a hippie so bad. And so, you know, I just am a songwriter guy. I know, I know you're getting tired. I'll try to wrap this up. So, but here's the thing, is that in all of my goofiness and wanderings, the whole time, the Lord had his hand right there on the back of my neck. And he was just guiding my path and steering me. It wasn't a hard hold on my neck. It was just enough to let me know that I was not my own. And if I didn't have enough sense to find my way, he was going to find it for me. He was going to find it for me. And he was going to open that door for me. And he was going to right into that door if he had to. Because I had a praying mama. And I had a praying daddy. And I had a praying grandma. And I had a praying uncle. I had people praying for me I didn't know were praying for me. I guess it was all over my face and I didn't know it. You know what? When you've lost your way, you don't even realize everybody around you knows you lost your way except you. And you think you're fooling them somehow. But when you feel like you're stumbling or you've lost your way, I'm here to tell you, it is so hard. It is so hard to escape the hand of God. Do you have any idea how fast you have to run? How hard you have to fight? How much you have to claw and scrape and scramble to get away from the hand of God? The hound of heaven will come after you and chase you and rescue you whether or not you know you need to be rescued because that's what he does. I don't understand it. I have a bunch of Presbyterian friends. They they call me and they say, Ken... It's all about predestination and God preordains our way and so many are called to go to heaven and so many are called to go to hell. That's not how I was raised. I'm I'm an Arminian. I believe that we have free will. We can make a choice on the deal. So one of my pastor friends, pastor of the big Presbyterian church in town, we were having lunch one day. He says, well, this is what I believe. I said, well, I think it's probably both. He said, it can't be both. I said, I don't know why. I said, you know, if I read that story right, this guy threw a party and he invited a bunch of people. They didn't come. So the people that were chosen didn't come. I don't know if if you heard that. The people that were chosen didn't come. The people that were supposed to be there that had the invitation and were the select ones, the ones who were chosen ahead of time, didn't show up so he said go get them all just go get go to the highways and the hedges when I was about 8 years old I was so confused by the highways and the hedges because we lived on 627 East Beverly Street in Pontiac, Michigan across from LeBaron Elementary School and we had a hedgerow in our front yard and I remember going out there and looking in the hedges to see if there was any lost people in there because the Bible was true and if we had to go to the highways and the hedges it didn't make any sense to me but hey guess what when they didn't show up for dinner Jesus said go get them go get the lame ones go get the ugly ones go get the ones with bad breath Go get the ones that you don't like. Go get the ones that don't know how to dress and don't have any social grace. Go get the ones that mess up, drop their food on their clothes. Go get the guy that slobbers when he talks and drools his food out of his mouth. Go get him and set him at the head seat with me. I want him right here with me because the people that felt so privileged and chosen wouldn't show up. What I'm trying to tell you is if you think that you don't count, he's been counting you in his flock since before you were born. 
If you think you don't count, if you think you're disqualified for some reason, something you've done, something in your past, something in your family's past, he's been counting you in his flock. And you know what he does? If I understand that scripture right, every night he goes and he counts his sheep and he figures out who's in the pen and who's not in the pen. And when you step out of the pen, you know what he does? He says to those 99, I love you guys, but you're going to have to take care of yourself because old Bozo Shelton, is he's falling over the edge again. i got to go get him. And he goes out there and he rescues me. He will keep you. He will preserve you. He will not leave you alone. You are going to make it. Grab somebody's hand. Would you do that?